entering the Freedom Hut. Kavanaugh's accuser thinks that she can destroy his reputation without showing up to testify. Will this mean that Kavanaugh gets through or are the Democrats going to pull a last-minute trick? Also, some elements of the deep state don't want the declassification that Trump has ordered to go through. What happens if they decide to disobey the commander-in-chief's order for declassification? That and much more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake, America, you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. This woman is to be believed, and you can believe Dr. Ford. This was attempted rape. And this is a woman who exhibits, Dr. Ford, courage, but the classic signs of post-traumatic stress. I believe her. Listen, first of all, anybody who comes forward at this point um, to to be prepared to testify in the United States Senate against someone who is being nominated to one of the most powerful positions in the United States government, that takes an extraordinary amount of courage. Not only do women like Dr. Ford, who bravely comes forward, need to be heard, but they need to be believed. They need to be believed. Let me just say right at the outset, I believe Dr. Ford. I believe the survivor here. There's every reason to believe her. She has come forward courageously and bravely. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, folks. Democrats rushing to judgment in favor of the accuser, of course. No surprise there. We've expected as much all along. They they have shown themselves to be the the swampiest of swamp creatures, really really sewer creatures. Uh, the Democrats are have been so low and degrading in this entire confirmation process for Kavanaugh. Um, and, and as I've been saying, it's because they have an edifice of evil, the abortion industry in this country, that they will protect at all costs. Politically for them, this is a, a, an issue that they will not budge from. Um, and they're willing to do anything and everything they can to make sure that Roe v. Wade, which is the closest thing that the left has to a political sacrament, as twisted as it is to think of it in that way, uh, is is protected. Uh, by the way, I, I'm not the only one who who thinks this. Uh, we even usually I would go into an extended uh, mockery of his preposterously bad both delivery and analysis on TV. But David Gergen has said as much about the Kavanaugh attack. Play 23. This vital last step about who's going to investigate is crucial to the outcome. What's most important for the country here, Anderson, is when this is all said and done, if Judge Kavanaugh is going on the Supreme Court and it's going to tip the balance of the court for years to come, uh, it's really essential that he go forward without a big cloud over him. To have Judge Kavanaugh go up there and join Clarence Thomas, you have two people who've been accused of sexual harassment on the court deciding whether Roe v. Wade should be sustained or not and pressing not to rule. That is not a helpful situation. It's about Roe v. Wade, you see. He's just going to come out and say it. And notice Clarence Thomas was accused of of saying some inappropriate stuff by a woman who was, if you go back and look at the hearing, 
not credible. De- a Democrat-controlled Senate voted Clarence Thomas through, folks, because he didn't think his life should be ruined because of some allegations of some inappropriate comments. Never touched anybody, never attacked anybody, never did anything. like. So to even put him in the same discussion, I mean, I think Clarence Thomas was innocent as well, but to put him in the same discussion as these Kavanaugh allegations just shows you that they're just sloppy, folks. This is just all smear. It's mudslinging. It's attacks. It's vile. It's transparently self-serving. This is what the Democrats do. This is who they are. And they're all saying, oh, she's Dr. Ford is so credible. Oh, she's so credible. Play two. We have Dr. Ford's credible allegation. She has nothing to gain here. The receipts were there. The story is credible. I don't think anyone doesn't believe her. I have every reason to believe that she's going to show that she's a very credible uh, witness and that her story is very credible. I believe uh, Dr. Ford, as I refer to her, because she makes a very credible uh, case. This is a situation where you have serious and credible allegations of, of rape. They're not credible allegations of rape, first of all. The woman was not raped. No one thinks she was raped. They claim that it may have been an attempted rape, but a rape actually involves a physical process here of some kind that we don't need to discuss on air, but no one says that is what happened. She may have been, uh, may have been groped, but there are, there are legal definitions for what would actually constitute rape, and, and that has never been alleged. But you see, who needs the law when they've got a, they've got a man's life to ruin? I mean, none of it matters, right? Oh, it's just all... It's just all about an all-out, to-the-last-man-and-woman defense of Roe for the left. That's what this is. And because that's what this is, they don't care how foolish they look, how dishonest they are, how disgusting they are, and all the things that they have to do to try to take down Kavanaugh, in their minds, are justified. Absolutely justified. To call this allegation credible is an insult to credible allegations of sexual assault all across the country. She doesn't remember where it happened she doesn't remember when it happened she won't now show up and and testify or answer any questions about it she sent a letter said she didn't want to come forward but had a polygraph run just in case she ended up having to come forward the democrats think we're so dumb that the only people that supposedly knew about this were democrat congresswomen in this case feinstein and also the one out in california's name i forget and, and there's someone on their staff just happened to leak it at the most opportune time if the whole game is delay. That's what they're going for here. Folks, if the game wasn't delay, we would have a slightly different conversation, right? If they really thought they could get Kavanaugh, that would be something else. They would have been working feverishly for the last six weeks to get the information out right away and to try to hold these huge hearings. No, no, no. They're not, they're, they're not going to get him because he didn't do it. I do not believe that Kavanaugh did this, and I do not believe that he's guilty of anything. And everyone who's come out to speak in his favor is just completely and utterly shocked by this thing. And you got on the other side the people saying, essentially, there's no such thing as due process anymore. If a woman accuses you of something, you're guilty. That's what the Democrats are saying. That's their position on this. A woman should be believed. She, what about the Duke Cross case? Should that woman have been believed? She went on to kill somebody, by the way, because they did not press false charge uh, false allegation charges against her which they always should bring in rape cases when it's clear somebody has made it up and lied which by the way disproportionately happens in sexual assault cases compared to other violent crimes just a fact duke lacrosse case completely i mean sorry uva case completely made up totally made up 
But that woman had a right to be believed? The one the woman who made those allegations against that fraternity? You know, how many times do we have to go through? Tawana Brawley. She have a right to be believed? Now, now, now you get into, da- oh, Buck, what are you doing? You're getting into this dangerous territory. Are you saying that, you know, you're, are you undermining the, the real? No, of course not. Every red-blooded American male I know right now who's listening to this across the country would lay down his life to defend not just the honor of a woman who was being attacked in this way that he knew, but any woman, a stranger, all right? That's what real men would do. Real men are horrified by sexual assault. They're horrified by the notion that any man would force himself upon a woman, would threaten a woman, uh, would do any, would lay a hand on a woman, never mind lay a hand on her for this, uh, specifically to sexually abuse her, and would take it upon himself to visit violence upon those who would do such a thing to a woman. So that's the perspective that I come at this from, and that's the one that I know that the people, uh, the men of, of all ages listening to this across the country, that's how they feel about this. And so we feel insulted that we have to always say, oh, but, you know, sexual assault is bad. We're not saying sexual assault's not bad. We're just saying we don't believe this one. Of course we think sexual assault is terrible. It's a, it's a heinous crime. It's a felony. People go to prison for decades as they should. But what Kavanaugh is, is alleged to have done here, there's just their facts aren't there, folks. And that's why you're seeing all these games in the media. The, the, the timeline is so clear cut. They want to try to push this until after the midterms in the hope that they'll take the Senate and they'll steal back a Supreme Court seat they thought was stolen from them by McConnell because he would not put Merrick Garland up for a vote. And you have fake news, false reporting out there about how they, you know, they're going to make her face her accuser in court. That's not true. They've said they'll, they have offered for Professor Ford to have her testify behind closed doors, to have her testify out in the open if she wants, to have her uh, just do a, a phone interview with members of the Judiciary Committee. Won't do any of it. Won't do any of it until the FBI conducts an investigation, she says via her lawyer. Oh, okay. So now this accuser who's dredging up this 35-year-old memory, now she comes forward to say, well, the United States Senate has to work on my schedule. I, me, the accuser of Kavanaugh, get to tell the Senate how they do their business. This person thinks that she has, that she has the right to have a, a veto power over the, Supreme, over the next Supreme Court Justice of the United States, folks. That's, what, that's what's being given to her by the media, by the Democrats, and she seems to gladly take it. Remember, the entire motivation here for her to come forward was political. She's known about this allegation for her entire adult life. She's only coming out now to say it because this guy was going to become a Supreme Court nominee, and she's a progressive and an activist and a Bernie and I'm sure Hillary lover. She is a partisan in this process, and that matters because her motivation for coming forward is, in fact, partisan. She's not coming forward because, oh, I just want to I want to raise awareness about sexual assault and I can't, I can't stand that this man, you know, had gotten away with it. No, no. She's coming forward because he was going to become a Supreme Court nominee and she wants to stop him. Now, when somebody's approaching it from that perspective with that thought process, doesn't it seem at least fair to the situation to say maybe the motivation here is what's really driving the story. Maybe the desire to divert, to 
derail this nomination of Justice Kavanaugh is, in fact, the entire motivation behind this. And she figured that she was in a position to tell this story. Maybe she believes it. Maybe it's so essential to her. Maybe she thinks that the defense of Roe v. Wade is so critical that her mind has allowed her to think that this really happened. I, I can't begin to tell you what's going on uh, inside, of, inside of her mind right now. But I do know that this notion that there's going to be an FBI investigation. Oh, in the media, they're all playing these games. Oh, let me tell you, the FBI investigates every Supreme Court nominee. The FBI does a background check, which is a routine process of gathering information, talking to a few people about somebody. The FBI doesn't chase down uh, a, a random allegation of criminal conduct from 30 years ago as part of a background investigation. And people say to me they will. Okay, you know how the FBI would chase that down? They'd say, uh, well, we don't have enough to go on here, so we'll include it in the file, which is what they've already done. The FBI has come out and said, after I was getting all these people last night, they were yelling at me on Twitter and all these different libs running around, hair on fire about this. The FBI has said this is a political question. The FBI doesn't have jurisdiction to investigate this as a criminal matter and local law enforcement wouldn't investigate it because it's past the statute of limitations. And the reason it's there, there's a statute of limitations is that when you get beyond a certain time period, it's impossible for somebody to fairly defend themselves. The reason a statute of limitations for most crimes, not all crimes specifically exists folks is for reasons like this so that the state or a politically motivated entity can't just come after you with an allegation and ruin your life. You know, oh, they tell a compelling story. Well, I, but this happened 20 years ago. I can't, I, you know, my witnesses have died or, you know, what? I, I can't defend myself against this. Oh, well, they told a compelling story. They convinced the jury you're going to prison now. But there's no evidence. Yeah, but people believe that person. That's why we have a statute of limitations. It's actually very important. It goes back to English common law, right? There's a reason why we have this. <sighs> I'm just getting started here, folks. I mean, I'm... It is this whole, we, we had a little more on this FBI background investigation thing, and then I'll talk to you about uh, just some more of the politics at play here. But we got to hold the line on this. The GOP must hold the line on Kavanaugh, meaning shoulder to shoulder, shields high. It means they, they better be in this fight to win this fight because this is just a political hit through and through. If I get new information that changes my mind, I'll be the first one to let you know. But right now, this is dirty, it's underhanded. I do not believe her. We'll be right back. I think it's really too bad that no one called her or called her lawyer. Uh, my understanding is she got emails. And this is a woman, and I really believe, who's been profoundly impacted by this. Now, I can't say everything's truthful. I don't know. Right. But I do know that um, they had to contact her lawyers. Well, they've contacted her lawyers. And her lawyers have tried to set all these special terms for while she, when she'll show up or how she'll show up. Or That's not going to fly. You don't get to demand an FBI investigation. The FBI has already said there's nothing for us to investigate. So, you know, this, this folks, it's all about delay. It's all about delay. I mean, I was willing to hear this out. Uh, and I, I was fine with, you know, I, I agree with what the president was saying. OK, she's made this allegation. Let's go hear her talk. Uh, I didn't really believe her then, but I really don't believe her now. I mean, if you will make this allegation and not show up, uh, then there's there is ill intent at work here. Uh, I am very 
very confident of, of that, and, and I really do believe that. So, you know, keep, keep that, my friends, uh, in, in mind here. And just remember something else, too. The way that the Democrats are reacting now, they act like they've had this, oh, there's this Me Too wrecking and all this, but rape has always been a terrible crime. It's always been wrong. The Democrats had a credibly accused rapist. You know, they use the term sexual assault very broadly, and they, you know, sexual assault can be, you know, grabbing a woman's behind for a second, or it could be a, a, a terrible, you know, first-degree felony rape, right? There's a whole span of crimes. Juanita Broderick uh, was on the record and credibly accused Bill Clinton of rape. Here's what she had to say about how the Democrats reacted to her. Play 15. It makes me go back to 1999 when uh, Dianne Feinstein, along with every other Democrat, refused to read my deposition to the independent counsel. They wouldn't have nothing to do with it. Uh, that just shows you the difference in the double standard that existed back then and still does today. The double standard is the Democrats want to win. They will do anything to win. They will play as dirty as they have to. And there is no principle here of defending women in general. That's just nonsense. There is nothing that they have. There's nothing that has changed about anything other than right now. They have a Supreme Court seat in the balance that could tip the court away from them getting some of their favorite little policy things through. that They can't get through with the legislature and they are acting like panicked children as a result of it. Uh, and the, the, you know, for the people that have so little respect for our institutions, as we see here, to, to always be lecturing all the rest of us about our institutions, it's 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 rather astonishing, isn't it? You know, they always say, oh, Donald Trump, look what he's done. He's he's eroding our institutions of government. Meanwhile, they have turned the Supreme Court nomination process into a complete circus. And they've done it with somebody as qualified and mainstream and worthy as anyone you could ever possibly find. The Democrats have no respect for due process and no respect for government process. They just think that whatever they have to do to stop, to stop Kavanaugh is inherently justified, and that's why they're acting in this way, and they should be ashamed. But I promise you they won't be. Uh, more on this coming up and also talking about the declassifications that are on the way. Why should we participate in a victimization of someone who has the courage to come forward? And she is under absolutely no obligation to participate in a smearing. Guess who's perpetuating all of these kinds of actions? It's the men in this country. And I just want to say to the men of this country, just shut up and step up. So that was a U.S. senator, folks, telling the men of this country to shut up. Is is feminism a form of hysteria? On the left, it seems like it is. It, you know, is is left wing feminism a form of hysteria? I just want to know, because a lot of people that are that are holding themselves up as prominent voices of a kind of, you know, hashtag me Too feminism right now are willing to completely dispense with due process, willing to say things that are unjust, willing to destroy a man without giving him any opportunity to not not face his accuser even, just have somebody ch- test the credibility of the allegations. He is, suppo- he is supposed to suffer consequences 
without having any recourse whatsoever. That's what the Democrats want for Kavanaugh. That's what they say is justice. This is why you really don't want these people in charge. By the way, Maisie Hirono, Senator Hirono, went went further. uh, Play seven. She has come forward with information that ought to be investigated by the FBI. And when Dr. testified, I think she expected a modicum of a fair kind of a situation. You know, I think it's appalling. And I'm totally disappointed that all these people who have come forward to say, oh, we should hear from her. And now that she's expecting a modicum of fairness so she's not re-victimized, are now saying, well, if she doesn't want to testify, we should just go ahead. That is additional callousness from my colleagues that I am totally appalled by. I think Hirono is, is, she certainly sounds like an idiot. I don't know if she is an idiot. I don't know enough about her. But everything she just said there was idiocy. Very, very dumb. Uh, And not true. Maybe that's even more important. Lies. Where are all those fact checkers? Where's all the truth? Facts first. Not apples, but bananas. Not bananas, but apples. Over at CNN. Where are they right now? A modicum of fairness? They have offered, the Senate committee, Judiciary Committee, has offered to have Professor Ford testify in open hearings, in a closed hearing, behind closed doors, or even just to staffers, or just to be on the phone with people on the uh, on the committee to ask her questions about this. And she won't do it. No, she, she thinks that she gets to uh, dictate the schedule of the Senate And it just so happens, oh my gosh, it's all a coincidence. How dumb do they think we are? These people are pathetic. The Democrats right now that are trying to stall this thing to stop this Kavanaugh nomination are pathetic. It's so transparent. It's so obvious what they are doing. It's so clear how they're playing this game. It really is. Pardon me, my voice is still a little shot because I've had a cold the last few days. But it is so clear to me. It's clear to all of us. And that's why they keep saying things that are so disprovable so obviously either irrelevant or dumb or because they're scrambling folks they're scrambling they talk about this this polygraph notion like that's supposed to prove something play eight she has taken a polygraph she's a credible person these are serious allegations i think it's amazing that she passed that polygraph in fact i would love it if maybe judge kavanaugh wants to get on the we call it being in on the box we are immediately questioning her credibility, despite the fact that she has passed the polygraph test. We're questioning her credibility because she cannot remember where this assault that is seared into her brain that she says she remembers exactly who did it, how it happened, where his hands went, all of it, but not where it happened. Where his hands went, yes. Where they were physically located at the time, no. Are we allowed to ask, was she blackout drunk at the time? Because that would explain why she wouldn't remember where she was, but it would also mean that how would she know who it was? We, we, we're not allowed. Chris Salise over at CNN really kind of gave away the game here. He said, you know, it's, it's dangerous ground. He's some CNN hack. It's dangerous ground to try to ask any questions here for, for Republicans. Oh, okay, so now the truth is the truth is is dangerous ground. That that's interesting. And by the way, that's what we're that is how the other side views this. Polygraph. Polygraph is useless if somebody believes what they're saying is true. That's just a fact. Do I think that Professor Ford maybe really does believe in her heart of hearts that uh, that Judge Kavanaugh did this to her? Sure. Do I think that uh, 
He did it to her? No. I think she believes it. I think she may be, you know, have some problems. I think she might have some some issue. But look, we, we know that she's had to seek counseling and therapy, which I do not put down, by the way. Anybody who needs counseling or therapy should go do it. But she may have some mental health concerns that she has to work through, you know, that, that we, but we're not allowed, we don't know anything about anything because she won't show up and talk about it. And the whole thing is all just so obviously orchestrated and they're trying so hard to make it sound like it's not. Yeah, I mean, do I think Judge uh, Judge Kavanaugh did this? No, I do not. I do not believe his accuser is correct. Could she be a little either, could she misremember or maybe even be delusional? Yeah, that's possible too. I don't know, but I don't believe her. So that's where I stand on this one, folks. We've got more. I want to play for you a, a piece of video that we just uh, uh, found. Uh, it shows Brett Kavanaugh back in 2015 uh, getting back to what Joey Jackson was saying a few moments ago about what happened uh, at Georgetown Prep, what happened during the uh, high school days of Brett Kavanaugh. And here's Brett Kavanaugh talking about this some vi- uh, video that's been unearthed by our team uh, in just the last few minutes. Fortunately, we had a, we had a good saying that we've, we've held firm to, to, the, uh, to this day, as the dean uh, was reminding me before, uh, before the talk, which is what happens at Georgetown Prep stays at Georgetown Prep. That's been a good thing for all of us, I think. Obviously, Susan, not a conclusive, uh, you know, piece of video that says, you know, that he did anything. But it is it does speak to uh, this notion that perhaps, you know, he, there are there are portions of his childhood that he would rather not come to light, I suppose. So is CNN's Jim Acosta a moron or just humorless or maybe both? That's how desperate they are over at CNN to placate their audience of brainwashed liberal nincompoops. They're going to play a clip of Kavanaugh giving a speech at a school where he's trying to be funny. It was a joke. He's playing off of the Vegas slogan. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But 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 there you had Acosta acting like Kavanaugh uh, is repressing memories. You know, maybe the kind of memories of the allegation that just came out this past week. You know, you get Acosta doing this armchair psychiatrist garbage, and it's just crazy, folks. It is just crazy that that Acosta would do this, and and yet yet here we are. By the way, it wasn't even in the full context. So you heard him play that there. What happens in Georgetown Prep stays at Georgetown Prep. Here is what uh, the actual full context of that Kavanaugh speech was. Play ten. I by coincidence three classmates of mine at Georgetown Prep were graduates of this law school in 1990 and are really, really good friends of mine, Mike Bidwell, Don Ergo, and Phil Merkel, and they were good friends of mine uh, then and are still good friends of mine as as recently as this weekend when we were all on email together. Uh, but fortunately, we had a, we had a good saying that we've we've held firm to to, the, uh, to this day, as the dean uh, was reminding me before uh, before the talk, which is what happens at Georgetown Prep stays at Georgetown Prep. That's been a good thing for all of us, I think. So he's talking to Yale Law School, and as you know, whenever you give one of these speeches, and I sometimes have to go to different places in the country and give speeches. By the way, if you're listening to this, you want. Send me an email. People are like, wow, we can really get you to come out and give a speech? Yeah, sure. We'll talk about it. You send me a message on Facebook. It's that, it's that easy. People are like, hey, come speak to my thing. I'm like, well, let's talk. You know, we'll discuss. 
but Kavanaugh's giving a speech at Yale Law School. You like that shameless plug, by the way? I love doing that. Because then I got to actually meet the team in person. Um, but Kavanaugh's giving a speech at Yale Law School, and he's trying to be funny. And he's talking about old friends, and he's making a little joke here. And that then gets aired on CNN like it's almost a confession or something. Like, oh, my gosh. Did you see what Kavanaugh said? I mean, it certainly opens up the possibility of a depraved mind here. I mean, I think we need to take this very seriously. I'm sitting here, I'm like, I mean, they're just such, CNN is such a bunch of buffoons on this whole issue. But they're not, you know, buffoons can be well-intentioned. The problem with CNN is there's no good faith over there. They, They are the cable news hashtag resistance channel. They're not even really the channel for the Democratic Party and the progressive left. That's really MSNBC. CNN exists to take down Trump now. That's what it exists to do. And because of that, because of that mindset and that reality, they will say things like what Acosta just did there, where they look like a bunch of, look like idiots. They really do look like they're they're, uh, incompetent, but it's not incompetence, it's malice. It's worse than incompetence. And that's coming coming out in many ways with the whole Kavanaugh thing. And I got into a debate last night with a friend of mine, actually. We were... uh, Talking uh, about whether they, whether the Democrats, whether they're uniquely vicious when it comes to Trump or not. And I was saying, well, the viciousness that they've shown toward Kavanaugh will, shows you that they'll do anything to destroy anybody that's important in terms of their war on, you know, liberal uh, war on, you know, individual rights on the Constitution, and everything else. They'll do whatever they have to do. I mean, they'll play as dirty as they have to play. So it's not that their tactics against Trump are any dirtier, just that Trump gets them more aggravated because he gives them more to work with in a lot of ways, but they still can't seem to beat him. So I think Trump elevates their frustration, but the same sinister tactics that they'll use against Trump, they'll use against Kavanaugh, they'll use against other people too. So really Democrats are, if not equal opportunity haters, certainly willing to fight as dirty. They're willing to throw low blows against anybody. And that's what Kavanaugh's a reminder of. And that's why you've had, I think, a lot of conservatives uh, who are never Trumpers finally having a moment here of of comity and and, you know, togetherness on this issue because they realize, well, hold on a second. Maybe the left really is crazy. You know, I think they've some of them, some of the never Trumpers have forgotten that maybe the maybe the left really is the primary ideological foe. And we should come together with our Trump supporting colleagues here and and friends and neighbors and stand for a conservative on the Supreme Court like Kavanaugh. Folks, I, I'm just going to say this now, too. I don't even know how great Kavanaugh is going to be on the bench. He does line up a lot with John Roberts, who, as you know, great pedigree, but he's the one who kept Obamacare alive. And basically because he didn't want the Supreme Court to save the American people from their political decisions that was that was really the reasoning i mean they they completely contorted logic and language in order to keep obamacare alive so i don't even think kavanaugh is going to be so true liberals all the time i don't think he's even worth this level of freak out from them but you know they're freaking out about it uh by the way acosta not only does he have no sense of humor um but he is willing to put the you know he's a guy who has really made his name by just being so anti-trump and you know, he's he's a pundit without the brains to actually come up with his own material. Right. So he just goes out there and he's he's a reporter who's trying to make score points against the administration. But he's not willing to really engage in open argument. I mean, Acosta never goes out to debate anybody. You've noticed that right? he, he just wants to be a reporter who gets to say whatever he wants. He won't actually engage with the other side. 
but he's in. He went out and interviewed a Ford Professor Ford uh, friend and supporter named Samantha Gary, and somehow thought that this was relevant to the discussion around Kavanaugh. Not that Kavanaugh did anything wrong, but that there are other people that maybe acted in a way that was inappropriate toward you know their female peers. Play twenty two. It's not the first time I've heard anything like that in terms of the community of women that I know and not regarding him, but... Those sorts of things went on. A lot, you know, one of the things that's been surprising to me as I've gotten involved in this in the last couple of days is how many women of my class have come forward to me in this last few days and said, I had similar experiences in high school. And this hits me very deeply, and I, it's very not with Brett Kavanaugh, but with other boys. Not with Brett Kavanaugh, but with other boys in our community, and and we all feel that if we were in her shoes, we'd want to be taken seriously as well. She's being taken seriously. She's the one that's unserious in that she won't show up. Okay, I, I, I'm sorry, I will not stand for this. No one is is negating her because she's a woman. This isn't sexism. This is you can't destroy a man. With a stealth letter, basically, not, you know, based on something that happened 30 years ago, not show up, not have to stand up for what you said. That, that's just not going to fly. But notice how what they've really done here is try to stack the deck against Kavanaugh by having somebody who is from his, you know, from his area, maybe knew him growing up, to say, effectively, there was like a rape culture going on in, you know, in this high school. They say that about campuses, too. By the way, it's a lie about contemporary college campuses. There's not a rape culture. That is a falsehood. That is a lie. But, okay, were there guys, were there young men, you know, 16, 17, 18, who transgressed against women in this period of time in the in the early 80s in the D.C. area in elite private schools? Yeah, I'm sure. That has nothing to do with Brett Kavanaugh. That's like saying, you know, Buck grew up in New York in the 1990s and there was a lot of crime, which there was a lot of crime, a lot of violent crime in New York. And in fact, a lot of my peers, a lot of people I knew would carry knives, sell drugs. It sounds crazy. I know, but it's true. A lot of selling and drugs. So if somebody ever accused me of selling drugs, would it be relevant that there were other people in New York City that that I knew of who sold drugs? No, it is not relevant because I never sold drugs. Ever, ever, ever a day in my life, right? But if somebody accused me of doing that and said, oh, but, but you know, you knew of people in New York City that sold drugs, that is a non sequitur. That doesn't mean anything. And that's what they're doing here. It's just a smear tactic, folks. It's just, it's grotesque. Um, but they're desperate. And with that desperation comes viciousness and the pathetic, the pathetic coordinated effort to take down Kavanaugh. I, I want to do a to switch gears. I know we've talked a lot about Kavanaugh um, this week and, and certainly this hour. I do want to talk to you more about a few things coming up. Uh, Project Veritas has some deep state audio we're going to play for you. Uh, we also have some more specifics on my interview with the president. Uh, I can read you from some of the transcript. We're able to print the transcript today, and I'll give you a little more of insight, a little bit of a behind-the-scenes into the, my 45 minutes with the President of the United States just happened yesterday. We broke huge news with the uh, Jeff Sessions. I felt kind of bad for Jeff Sessions, but, you know, it's news, and we got to print, print the interview. I mean, it's the President saying it, not me. Uh, we'll talk about that also. Some major U.S. cities, more than half 
close to half in a bunch of cases, more than half in L.A., don't speak English at home. What does that mean for our culture? Uh, these are all discussions we've got coming up. The FBI says home title theft is one of the fastest growing crimes out there. So brace yourselves because having your credit card stolen is nothing compared to the hell you're in for if identity thieves manage to take control of your home's title. Folks, if you haven't heard about home title theft, it is a growing crime. It's a real problem out there. And the downside of this can be huge. Think of all the money, all the time you've spent trying to pay down your mortgage, right? You've got equity in your home. Well, if the bad guys are able to replace you with an alias online, it's not hard to do. I've seen it done. They can use your home's title to take out loans, and then you get stuck with the payments. They just get the cash from a loan. Don't let this happen to you. For just pennies a day, Home Title Lock protects my most valuable asset, my family's home. Register now for a free analysis, and it's $100 value, folks, and see if your home's title is safe. Go to HomeTitleLock.com again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. I think the president has probably felt this has gone far enough as far as waiting for the FBI, the Justice Department, to uh, release the Pfizer applications. I mean, I've read the applications. I've gone down to the Justice Department. And I think objective people looking at this, whether they support President Trump or not, will see that the Pfizer warrant, the Pfizer application, was not an honest one. Not anywhere near enough was disclosed to the court. The court really I, was treated badly, but the result of that is the abuse of power by the Justice Department against a presidential campaign unprecedented in American history. Well, but- Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show, folks. I, I do think we are heading for a showdown over declassification here. And this, this is going to get very interesting. You have people who seem to believe that they are above, that they can work for the president, but be above presidential directive. They, they think that they can work for the president of the United States, but not actually have to be subject to lawful orders that he, that he gives within his constitutional authority. And you have, you know, the DOJ, the FBI, and the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, ODNI, all at least having some murmurs uh, that they're going to, try to just give him documents that are still redacted, uh, that are still over-redacted. And people are saying that this is going to open up some kind of a, a war between the president and the officials that won't okay this information. We had, we had the former CIA director on air, uh, Brennan, saying, I know we talked about this yesterday on the show, but saying that people have a duty to ignore the president's order here. I mean, on, you, you've got two big problems that are coming to the forefront as a result of all this. One is this means that there are people who really do believe that the chain of command does not apply to them. I mean, the hashtag resistance, these people are, are saboteurs within the government. They have this notion that just because they've seen enough, you know, propaganda online about Russia or, or the, you know, the or some of them were the ones that made the propaganda about Russia, uh, but they think that, that the president doesn't really get to exercise his full authority. Uh, this reminds me of when I was interviewing Alyssa Milano, and she said, you know, the president shouldn't be able to appoint a Supreme Court nominee while he's under investigation. And I said, well, other presidents under investigation have done that. And that would be like saying the president's under investigation, so he's no longer the president. He has this authority in the Constitution, in our founding document, you know, case closed. 
And he has declassification authority, too, because he is the chief of the executive branch. How can somebody else within the executive branch chain of command say that, no, no, you can't release this. This I say this is not classified. The, at the end of the day, if the president says this, is, the, the information belongs to the executive branch. If a president says this isn't classified, it's not classified. In fact, friends of mine that have worked in the different uh, public and press, you know, the press shops of the various agencies will tell you that they have to deal with something called real time declassification, which is a, a kind of tongue in cheek way of saying, well, the president just talked about it, so it's not classified anymore. That happens. Now, that's not an official process, but it is a recognition of the fact that the president's at the top of the command chain here. Right. So who are these other people who are going to step up and say, oh, no, you can't do that. It's just it shows such a a lack of of understanding of what the role of the president is and also the people that work within the executive branch. And, and it just shows you that they uh, they come with this notion that they shouldn't be held accountable. Uh, they, they really seem to believe that they are able to just decide they're going to defy a presidential directive. Now, I, I don't know. They would have to get fired. You know, that that's where this would all head. If they refused to do it, the president would have to start firing people, just like Sally Yates. Look, it's not unthinkable. Sally Yates refused to do her job. She just refused to do it. Okay, so. Given that Sally Yates didn't want to do her job, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some folks at FBI or DOJ or some others who are also unwilling to do their job. But so this one problem is just the lack of respect for chain of command, for the office of the presidency, and these people thinking, from what we've seen so far, we we don't know where they're going to go, um, but these people seem to think that their deep state, I know, the president doesn't like that phrase, we'll talk more about that, uh, their bureaucratic supremacy is something that should be celebrated and, and that they are, you know, they're more they're more fit to determine what gets shared with the public and the president. OK, so that's one big problem. The other problem is what the heck is with these people that don't want us to get this information? There's so much. And, and oh, my gosh, in Congress, they're trying so hard. Oh, this is so reckless. This is terrible. Why would the president ever do this? Uh, you know, they're saying that. The, the big story you hear now is that they're they're claiming that this means that we will no longer be in a position to get intelligence shared with us from different places or there'll be people that won't share. Uh, here's what I say to that, folks. There is a presidency at stake over the outcome of all of this. All right. They don't get to tell us that Russia undermined our institutions, that this is the most important and critical threat to to our democracy, which they always love to say, uh, you know, in the last 50 years or whatever time frame they want to give you. They don't get to hype up this as the most important story in the country, really, therefore, in the world for 18 months. And then and of course, Donald Trump and possible collusion, in the Russian investigation is that's all tied together. They don't get to do that and then turn around and say, well, you know, we don't really we don't really need to know stuff. We don't really need to be um, getting the truth on this stuff. We'd rather just have the investigation grind on. You know, there's there's a recurring theme here, whether it's the Kavanaugh hearings or the declassification of information relating to Trump and Russia and how the Russia investigation got started, 
What were Page and Strzok and others up to at the DOJ? And the recurrent theme is that the left Democrats are very good at abusing process for political ends. Because the leftist mind is comfortable with bureaucracy. Because the whole notion of a bureaucracy actually goes back, and, and you can look at the origins of American progressivism and some of the borrowed ideas that American progressivism has from uh, Bismarck and some of the, the that German era state or that, that that time period of Germany. You know, Bismarck you know, wanted, uh, you know, veterans to have uh, welfare payments and or, you know, veterans to have uh, pension payments, I should say, and national health care and all this stuff. You know, there, there's crossover these ideas. The left believes in an elevated bureaucracy of people that are highly intelligent, highly adept, that will administer the wonderful government because they love the government to all the rest of us. This is a very leftist idea, a very Amer and American progressivism picked up on this in the early 20th century and ran with it. As we know, bureaucracy is really the enemy of freedom. Now, I'm not saying that you can have no bureaucracy, just like you can have no you can't have no government either. Uh, but bureaucrats are a constant concern for those of us who privilege and and uh, cherish liberty. And the leftists, because they are statists, always have a greater preference for bureaucracy, but also have a greater comfort with it and, and are willing to use it to try to achieve political ends. They know that in the big mass, in the flabby folds of bureaucracy, any debate can get lost. You know, they, they know that. They can slow it down. They can change the news cycle by relying on on bureaucratic wrangling. And and that's so that that is a, absolutely a, a concern here. Um, and they just don't want us to get to the truth. They're saying that, you know, we we can't release this information because it's going to uh, result in less information sharing for us. But this is about a presidency, folks. What do we really care more about? The possible, the, the theoretical damage to intelligence sharing, the theoretical damage to, uh, you know, our, our sources and methods, which I believe will even be redacted in this request that Trump has. They just want to keep stuff out of there that they know uh, if it comes out, it's going to make their whole storyline look really bad. And that's why you get journalists and Democrats. Isn't it interesting? Journalists and Democrats are the ones who are opposed to the release of this information. You know, I remember that some of the same journalists that were, you know, cheering the WikiLeaks releases of stuff from the Iraq war are very opposed to this. Very, very opposed to this information getting out there. It's just it's pure politics, folks. I mean, this is what we have a uh, the media has become a reflection of the tribalism of American politics. But the media is kind of a hyper concentrated version of it. Uh, and what you see is is people doing everything that they can to root for a team, to push for a team. And Team Trump-Russia collusion is something that 90% of the media is a part of. And they know that if all of a sudden we have to come to a reckoning over uh, the FBI and the DOJ working with the media, so you have really the unholy alliance here of the bureaucracy with the uh, you know, the the media. Um, I always want to, you know, fourth estate, fifth column. I always want to say the fourth estate and it's the fifth column. But the fourth estate is a fifth column. Uh, but that alliance is what got this whole Russia collusion thing going. 
And and this was really, in a sense, their, this was their fail-safe. I mean, the, the progressives' fail-safe was, well, even if we can't win an election, we can have the media and the permanent bureaucracy work together to undo the results of an election. And I don't believe that any any Republican other than Trump would be able to, as much as sometimes he gives them more to work with, and I, you know, the Lester Holt interview was a disaster, and there's been things, but I don't think anybody other than Trump would be able to fight through this. I think that they would just wear him down. Um, they, you know, anybody from the kind of Bush approach to GOPism would be too concerned with the the loss of uh, of public esteem. Would be would be too concerned with how they just you know, are getting hammered in the press all the time. Um, Trump has said that the declassified information that's going to come out from this Russia probe exposes bad things. It's going to expose bad things, and there's more to come beyond that. And, and you know, we, we've extended this discussion out such a long time. So many months we've been talking about the Russia collusion thing. I think people should just be, be forced to, uh, to remember, you know, especially on the other side, that we've gone so far from what they promised we'd find and are actually all the way in the other direction. They said we'd find that Trump was a traitor. And what we found is that Trump is a patriot, and there were traitors. They just all happen to be Democrats. Whether you're a startup company or a huge Fortune 100 massive corporation, you need to make sure that the people that you're hiring are who they say they are, right? The people you're bringing in have no criminal background, no problems there whatsoever, uh, aren't people that have been involved in lots of nasty lawsuits, right? You want vetting and background screening done right, and you want it done by a company you can trust and that you can get in on the phone anytime you need to, okay? That's Global Verification Network. This is a veteran-owned and operated company. I know and trust the CEO these are people that when you reach out and you've got a question about anything that's coming up in the background check process, they will make sure they walk you through it and they'll also get clear and efficient answers for each and every case. Whether you're a huge company or small, you want Global Verification Network for your background investigation needs. Go to mygvn.com and tell them Buck Sexton sent you. Mygvn.com. Some pretty stunning statistics today, folks. Uh, this courtesy of the Washington Examiner. Nearly half in the top five U.S. cities don't speak English at home. Uh, instead, they speak their native language. This is according to Census Bureau uh, data that looks at the impact of immigration policy over the last decade. 67 million people in this country do not speak English at home. That is nearly double in 27 years. As a share of the population, 21.8%, this is according to the Center for Immigration Studies, 21.8% of U.S. residents speak a foreign language at home, which is about double what it was in 1980. In America's five largest cities, 48% of residents now speak a language other than English. New York it's and Houston, it's 49%. Los Angeles, it's 59%. Chicago, it's 36%. Phoenix, it's 38%. Uh, you know, this is the uh, the findings come out, as Washington Zemmer says here, as more and more reports emerge about uh, people getting into debates over speaking English. Right. People want to be able to speak English or others say that they shouldn't have to speak English. Uh, we should have a national language, folks, and this should not be a controversial thing to say at all. Those who like to hearken back to, you know, when, when they had when they think it's not actually true, but when they think that we had this 
a wide open door immigration policy uh, should understand that, yeah, you didn't have to have perfect English when you came here, but there was going to be no choice. If you were going to be successful, you were going to have to learn English. You were going to have to speak English. And language is right after rule of law and, and an understanding of the law. Language is, is a foundational element of culture. So, and langu- language affects the way we think. It affects the way we act. I mean, language is essential. And the, that we have the cultural connections we do. I mean, why is it that as an American, if you get on a plane and you go to Australia, it'll feel very, you know, very much like America to you. But if you get on a plane and you were to go to, you know, uh, say Honduras, or if you were to go to uh, France, you know, you'd say, okay, well, there's some stuff that reminds me of my culture, but it's very different, right? I mean, la- language is going to be among the very, uh, m- the most noticeable, most important differences between our culture and other cultures, and it's really what binds us together as a people. Um, and, and while people will look at this, a lot of liberals and leftists will look at this, st- these statistics and they'll say, well, it's not bad. And, you know, diversity is America's strength and we're a melting pot and all this stuff. Uh, the, the truth is it's going to be harder and harder for us to have a shared political culture and a, and a shared understanding of what this country is if we can't even share a language to speak about this country. Now, I understand Speaking it at home doesn't mean that people can't speak the language at all. It doesn't mean that I'm not. This is not telling us uh, that people don't speak uh, English at all. It's it's saying that at home they choose a different language, but that also can have, you know, that there's some upside to that. Being bilingual would certainly have its advantages, or trilingual, or whatever. Some people speak, you know, eight languages, but you need to have at least complete English proficiency. And if you look at the explosion of ESL, English as a second language training in a lot of schools. Uh, the fact that matters is that you have people who are not proficient in English in large numbers who are foreign born and, and in this country. Uh, and you have a lot of people who, well, a lot of native born Americans uh, are going to need some help with their their language skills as well. But this this is not encouraging for the future of our cultural unity. Uh, I, I, and it also just shows you what a vast increase in the foreign-born population there is, right? I mean, people born in this country of American parents speak English, right? I mean, if your parents are from here, and they're born here, and you're born here, you grow up overwhelmingly speaking English. Not saying everybody, but overwhelmingly, that's going to be the case. So on the, there, there's the cultural disconnect that this raises, the cultural disconnect that I think is concerning. And then beyond that, uh, you have the issue of what is our immigration policy really looking like? I mean, how many people have we brought into the country from abroad? And this this gives you a sense of it. I mean, when we have basically half of the biggest U.S. cities, more than half in Los Angeles, people not speaking English at home, uh, we are looking culturally fractured. And we also get a sense of the scale of immigration, including illegal immigration. We're talking about Los Angeles. You've got a lot of illegal immigration. Uh, and it's pretty staggering. Uh, the numbers are incredibly high. So, you know, this this, I think, should should get some attention. And, you know, the the real long term challenge for um, the real long term challenges, as I see it, for this country 
yeah, eventually China might be a military and economic threat. Right now it's a challenger. It's not really much of a threat. Um, but the real long-term challenges are our debt, are uh, the fight against statism and socialism, and cultural unity. American culture being something that we are able to sustain and replicate because this is, you know, not to get too philosophical here, folks, but you know this, a country is an idea. And when it ceases to be a shared idea, bad things happen. For decades, credit cards have been telling us, buy it now and pay for it later with interest. Despite your best intentions, that interest can get out of control fast. With Lending Club, you can consolidate your debt or pay off credit cards with one fixed monthly payment. Since 2007, Lending Club has helped millions of people regain control of their finances with affordable fixed-rate personal loans. No trips to a bank, no high-interest credit cards. Just go to LendingClub.com, tell them about yourself and how much you want to borrow. Pick the terms that are right for you. And if you're approved, your loan is automatically deposited into your bank account in as little as a few days. Lending Club is the number one peer-to-peer lending platform with over $35 billion in loans issued. Go to LendingClub.com slash buck. Check your rate in minutes and borrow up to $40,000. That's LendingClub.com slash buck. LendingClub.com slash buck. All loans made by WebBank. Member FDIC. Equal housing lender. I work for the State Department. Uh, I mean, I'm a civil servant. So I'm a union member and all that good stuff. Is this everything? Everything. Every level. There you have a State Department employee filmed as part of an undercover investigation by Project Veritas of the resistance inside of government, folks. It's it is a very real thing. Um, The State Department is a is a hotbed of this. I've known this all along. I have friends here in D.C. that I've spoken to who say that. The stories that you've maybe read or that you've heard me talk about here on the show of people in the State Department who cry at their desks because they're so upset that Hillary lost the election, who wait in their cars in fear and won't go into the, won't go into the office because they're so worried about what it means to work in foreign policy in Trump's America. Those people are real. That is happening. And this is where I think, you know, we've been talking a lot about about DOJ, FBI, but the problem of anti-Trumpers who will use their offices in some way or another to try and either blunt or reverse administration policy and who will work against the president in whatever way they can, whether it's leaking to the press, telling, you know, unflattering stories, uh, that is a federal government wide problem. That's except for the military. Military loves Trump. No surprise. Uh, But the rest of the federal government is look, it's it's full of of, you know, bureaucrats who went to liberal arts colleges and are bitter that they're not making more money and no one listens to them. I mean, that that's you get a lot of that. I'm really talking about the State Department, commerce, some of these other places. Uh, State Department's bad, but it's not just there. I mean, we got also a we got a whole bunch of clips and this is all from Project Veritas, you know, James O'Keefe's outfit. Uh, You've got a a DOJ employee. Play 26. 
So since a lot of yeah. your coworkers are like more leftists, are so they like, trying to do anything? Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't describe. I have a couple socialist workers oh, that's like they joined Yeah, really so great. Um, but most of them are just sort of like regular liberals. Yeah, and all of them are lawyers, which is like not the most go? radical group. Okay, <laughs> but are they doing anything to like fight against Trump? Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of us talk about it. So most of them are like vaguely politically involved. So they might support candidates and do fundraisers, and some of them canvass. Okay. Um, and then there's a lot of talk at work about like how we can resist. So, by the way, that, that that is, again, from, you know, resistance from the inside. You heard that, right? People are resisting from the inside. And uh, they're calling this the Deep State Series, uh, Project Veritas Deep State Series. And you had Demo- that, that one guy we started off with at the State Department says he organizes for the Democratic Socialists of America during work. Uh, so that, that's an interesting one, isn't it? You know, on, on work time, he's doing this stuff, but this deep state series, uh, was, was opening, I think for a lot of folks who believe that there is a, uh, that it's exaggerated that there are all these people that hate Trump and the government, that there's got to be something that's more, you know, there, there's gotta be this, this greater nuance or I don't know. They just don't want to believe it. Uh, oh, we got an HHS person too. Let's throw, let's throw that, that agency in the mix too. play 25. Do you have any friends that are still work there? Yeah, I have a few. Oh, okay. Can they, like, screw them over? No, but they give me, like, information. Oh, they do? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah, like, it was, like, kind of like the Nixon deep throat type of thing. Is, like, is the resistance just your friend? Or is it, like, a bunch of people? It's, like, a bunch of people. Oh, okay. And, uh, are you, they were giving you, they were giving you, like, are they were giving you information to help? So they were leaking information to you to help on, be able to help on the outside. To help on the outside, and then you were able to forward that to lawyers. Yeah. Yes, or uh, reporters. Yep, leaking information, trying to get stories out there to, to hurt the administration. That that's what they're doing. You know, folks, if if somebody really has a problem with a, a particular administration with the president. I'll tell you this right now. When I was the CIA and what I was going to be doing as a, as a CIA analyst was writing very focused and complicated analytic products for uh, Barack Obama, I, I did my very best. I, mean, I was really working in Afghanistan for the time that I was in the agency when Obama was in office. I did my very best on, on all the work that I did. It never would have even occurred to me that on an issue as serious as national security, defending the nation and, and intelligence for the commander in chief, that I would let politics play even the slightest bit of a role in my thinking. That all said, I did have a level of discomfort with continuing to work for administration that was, I thought, at odds with American national security interests around the world. And you know what I did? I left. I left. I didn't try to play any games and leak stuff to the press. I didn't, you know, slow roll my day to day. I didn't try to half ass it or, you know, act like it doesn't really matter or anything like that. I decided, okay, I've had enough. I'm going to go do something else now because I don't want the, you know, the, the, the pinnacle of my time at the agency under the Bush administration was when I actually got in the Oval Office and got to talk to the president about some very important, very high level stuff. I mean, when you're an analyst getting into the 
getting in to see the president and getting 20 minutes or so with him. Maybe it was more like 15. Felt like a year. Uh, but that was, you know, you were at the very pinnacle of what, what was possible really in the, in the analytic side of the profession. Um, and, and I just didn't see myself getting to show up and talk to Obama after he had read whatever he read on his iPad and have him care about what I said. And I just knew that I, we wouldn't have a, an, an aligned vision for U.S. national security on some things. On counterterrorism, I got to say, Obama was, you know, he was very drone happy. I mean, he was running around, a lot of drone stuff. And obviously the whole bin Laden raid, which was one of the biggest, I think one of the biggest breaks he got in his whole presidency. Uh, so on those things we could agree, but on a lot of other areas he didn't agree. And what I'm just trying to say is I, I was either going to stay and do the job or go and not do the job. You know, you, you either stay and man the post or you resign. You, you don't get to stay in the post and then be a subversive. I think that's dishonorable. I think that should be uh, that should face really strident criticism. And it's low and it's nasty. And it goes to show you that there is a, a lack, a really systemic lack of respect for the office of the presidency from these individuals that are coming out now and or not coming out that are being outed by Project Veritas and and all the things that, um, you know, that they've they've been talking about here with resisting from the inside. And, you know, the, the deep state, as I've been telling you, I got to say that, you know, the president doesn't like the deep state as a term. All right. That came up in our interview yesterday, which he's smart. He, he is. Even people I know who don't like this president will admit that he is a branding genius, that his ability to market ideas, to market people. Um, and look, you see this in media, too. All it takes is the president. All it takes is the president to say that somebody's a good guy and doing good work you know, publicly. And all of a sudden their book is a bestseller there. You know, he has a huge bully pulpit now. Um, but he also knows when he know, knows how to talk about somebody or how to push somebody's work out there so that it's going to get a lot of attention. Um, you know, I, I think that this president understands that saying deep state would be open. It, it would open him up to a lot of the, you know, oh, he's just like Alex Jones or some conspiracy theorist. And that's so, so I get it. That all said, <clears throat> analytically. I disagree with the president on the notion that there that this doesn't qualify as a or, or rather I shouldn't say disagree with them. I would go to a different direction. He's not saying it because of the optics, and I get that and I respect that. Uh, I'm saying it though because I think it's I think that if you're looking at this on just a factual basis, when you have people that are inside a government that are trying to frustrate core aims and goals of that government. If you don't call it a deep state, I don't I don't know exactly what you're going to call it. Uh, but you're definitely going to find yourself very frustrated uh, with what the outcome is. And the deep state so far, I think, is is unable, fortunately, to get the kind of traction against the president that they've tried. The closest thing they've gotten is the Russia collusion investigation. I think that's all going to get that's going to come to an end relatively soon. I mean, I can't say very soon, but you know, they're they're going to run out of steam with it eventually. They're not going to be able to keep this up and continue. So we'll see, my friends. I mean, I I got to give credit. Uh, I got to give credit to O'Keefe. 
for doing this kind of work. It's one thing that I, I don't know I'd be able to do. I, I don't think I could do the, hey, I'm just like a guy hanging out, talking to you about some things, and like maybe I've got a video camera on me somewhere. But you know, the, the hidden camera stuff, I, I'm not I'm not built for that. If people say, oh, Buck, you were a spy. Yeah, I was, I was really a policy guy, uh, a policy guy who got out as close as he could to the front lines and tried to help and did some bad guy finding. That's what I'll call it. I was good at that, too. I was a good bird dog for the... The door kickers, you know, for the actual snake eaters. I was, uh, and I got along very well with all of them too. We we always had a, a good rapport. Some of them used to call me junior because they assumed that I was a junior. I'm not. My older brother is a junior. I'm not actually a junior, but they referred to me as junior, um, also because I was very young. And the more elite guys tend to be, uh, at least in my experience, the more elite units, the tier one units, you know, Delta and special forces. Uh, you know, you, you name it, SEAL Team 6, they they tended to be in their, th- you know, in their 30s, uh, in my experience. They tend to be a little, little bit older because uh, they got to spend some time in the units before they can actually get through selection and all the other stuff. So, you know, there's that. I, I, I just, I, I want to keep focusing in when we can on on the deep state and, and trying to bring this into a place where there's a really high public awareness of just how left-wing a lot of the federal bureaucracy has become and just what a problem this is for the Trump administration and what it means going forward uh, for... Because there will be another... By the way, there's going to be another big leak, folks. I, I can assure you of that. There will be a bombshell leak from some federal agency about something at some point to try to take Trump uh, Trump down, uh, probably with regard to something in the 2020 elections, but it's it's going to happen. Uh, you will see You will see leaking... From government employees, mark my words, you'll see leaking going into 2020 meant to take down Trump that'll make your head spin. Um, and we have not gotten to the bottom of the leaks that have already happened, things like the General Flynn phone call. There's been a very, I think, lackluster effort from the uh, authorities that are in place. I, and I, I can't explain why. I mean, it's another thing that probably Trump would, would criticize Jeff Sessions for. You know what's tough to criticize the president for, though? The economy. Economy is doing very well, as we are well aware. And I had somebody last night who would know things. Maybe it was a U.S. senator that I just happened to be having a drink with. uh, Tell me that he thinks GDP could be as high as 5% if we didn't have these headwinds from the the trade war. Uh, But what do a bunch of college kids say when you ask about the economy? It might surprise you. We got a little quick trip through that, courtesy Campus Reform, coming up. I'm Kevin Phillips with Campus Reform. Today we're at Michigan State University talking to students about President Obama's comments saying that President Trump does not deserve credit for how well the economy is doing. What do students have to say? Let's find out. President Obama gave a speech this week uh, in Illinois talking about how it's wrong for Trump to take credit for how well the economy is doing because it's still his economy. What are your thoughts on that comment? Um, He's been out for long enough now that it's not on him anymore it's more on donald trump so i guess he's a little bit in the wrong i would probably unfortunately side with trump for this one um i think that he has done like a lot for the economy um that obama didn't do such a well good job on but um yeah so i guess i'll side with trump on that one i feel like once a president's done they hand it off i feel like all presidents do this they'll sort of take credit for something that's happening down the line. I think the underlying fundamentals are likely still largely Obama, but in terms of confidence and changing people's attitudes, I'd say that's mostly Trump. 
kind of feel like everything's just like in like a just like a kind plateau. Of Not the market. The market is going way up. Right. I, I mean, I just haven't really kept up with that, so I, I wouldn't really really know too much. Because of, of all the things I have issues with, the economy's not really one of them. It's more like foreign relations and okay. just like public appeal and things like that. So of all, I don't really think he's probably one of the things I think he's doing decently well at. He's a businessman. I think that's his, his strong suit. His tweets and stuff, I find very offensive because... Okay. I mean, I'm a girl, so and a lot of them are against us. So, but economically, like I feel like he's really helping us. Looks like a bunch of random college kids at Michigan State. Hat tip campus reform for that one. Uh, looks like those college kids understand the economy a lot better than most of the mainstream journalists I see on TV. Oh, it's Obama's economy still. No, it's Obama who's in charge of the economy, even though he's not in charge of anything. I guess he's in charge of Netflix now, part of Netflix. Uh, No, it it is not the Obama economy. That is an inaccurate thing uh, for for them to say. And the, the, the quickest way to shut down this argument is to say, if the economy were crappy, does anybody think the Democrats would be saying, it's not Trump's fault, it's Obama for all the bad spending policy and things. No, they would immediately pile on Trump, say that he's a buffoon, he doesn't know anything, and, uh, and, and they would use this as a major way to, uh, to go after the president and say that he's inept and there's all kinds of reasons why you, know, you should vote for Democrats because they're going to give you free everything, lots and lots of free stuff. Who's going to pay for the free stuff? Like, whatever, like, Ocasio-Cortez will tell you that, like, like whatever, like, where does the 20 trillion that, like, I need for the healthcare thingy, like, I don't even know, because social justice and stuff. <sighs> this is what, this is what the other side, this is what the other side promises you. But this is, this is why I have some, uh, some hope for the midterms, because the economy is so strong, and Democrats are in really such a weak position in terms of their criticism of where the economy is right now and all of that, that I think that we may have a slightly surprising result ahead. I think that there is a there's at least some shot. Um, but the issue is going to be, are people complacent? Are conservatives, are Republicans going to be complacent because things are so good that they will, you know, immediately or or. They'll fall back on the, well, you know, I don't have to worry about this. I don't have to worry about this because the president, you know, he's got this. No, guys, we we really do need to show up and people need to make sure that they are pushing for their Republican candidates because the agenda comes to a screeching halt otherwise. Uh, Big Hour 3 coming up, team. Stay with me. We have an attorney general. I'm disappointed in the attorney general. For many reasons, and you understand it. Uh, we are uh, looking at lots of different things. I have a great cabinet. We have the greatest economy ever in the history of our country. President today answering some questions from uh, folks before he jumped on board uh, his, his chopper. Get to the chopper. Uh, and, and he did. He did, in fact, get, get to the chopper. But he spoke a, bit, a little bit about Jeff Sessions there. You know, yesterday, as, as you all know, I was in the... Uh, I was in the Oval Office for quite a while, uh, about 45 minutes, and uh, now I'm able to tell you because we released the transcript. It's been out all day, and we had, I think, three links up on the Drudge Report today of that interview. I mean, it's just, look, we, we were able to break a lot of news. Uh, it was a very timely uh, interview and, and covered so much territory, and I think it's because the president understood that I, I wasn't there 
to do anything other than hear what the President of the United States thinks and what he's going to do on a whole host of issues. I wasn't playing any games. Uh, I'm open about the fact that I support his administration. I, I'm, I'm a pundit, also known as an honest journalist, as opposed to a just journalist who pretends not to have ideas. Uh, so, you know, we, we were sitting there, had a really good conversation. One cool little note is that the president had, I've never seen this before. I heard this mentioned before, but he had little 45s on his embroidered on his cufflinks or not his cufflinks on his cuff themselves, which I thought was pretty cool. You know, like a boss because he is the boss of the free world sort of, but on, on sessions, this has been a tough one for me. You guys all know that Jeff Sessions, I got a soft spot. He's the only cabinet official who's called into this show three or four times. I mean, you know, Jeff Sessions, for whatever reason, you know, he's been he's been a buddy, and uh, and I've always appreciated that. Because, you know, look, he listens to the show a little bit, and, and he appreciates what we do here. So I like the Attorney General, and he's a good guy. He's a good man. I think a lot of that's gotten lost because he just didn't realize what he was in for with this whole Russia collusion thing. I, I really don't think that he was, he was prepared for what he's up against. But... When I asked him about this, and this is this is from the transcript. Now, we taped the Trump interview, but uh, because of some of the we audio taped it, but because of some of the agreements that we had beforehand, and it has to do now with with enhanced uh, security in the White House in terms of you know information security, uh, what we, we agreed to, we would tape it so we could transcribe it exactly. And so I can tell you some of the more important parts of it. But if you want to read the whole thing, it's up on the hill.com right now. But on the attorney general, I said, Mr. President, why haven't you replaced your attorney general, given all the things you've said and everything else that's come out about his actions or inactions? Uh, President Trump, I'm so sad over Jeff Sessions because he came to me. He was the first senator that endorsed me and he wanted to be attorney general. And I didn't see it, but he came very strongly. He really wanted to be. And I let him be. And then he went through the nominating process and he did very poorly. I mean, he was mixed up and confused and people that worked for him, you know, a long time in the Senate were not nice to him, but he was giving very confusing answers, answers that should have been easily answered. And that was a rough time for him. And he won by one vote, I believe. Yes, he won by just one vote. Then President Trump went on. Um, then he gets in and probably because of the experience that he had going through the nominating when he asked him the first question about Hillary Clinton or something, he said, I recuse myself, I recuse myself. And now it turned out he didn't have to recuse himself. Actually, the FBI reported shortly thereafter any reason for him to recuse himself. And it's very sad what happened. In the meantime, I don't have an attorney general. Folks, I don't have an attorney general. That is what the president told us on the record in the Oval Office yesterday. Jeff Sessions is a good man, and I know he's an honorable man, but I know he's also got pride. And if the president of the United States really doesn't feel like you're doing the job, I wouldn't be surprised if Jeff Sessions decided that he had had enough sooner than later. And I mean very soon. By the way, at that point, I, inter I, I interjected. I didn't interrupt. I said, are we going to get a wall, Mr. President? He said, OK, let me finish this. We'll see what happens. A lot of people have asked me to do that. And I guess I study history and I just want to leave things alone. But it was very unfair what he did. And my worst enemies, I mean, you know, are on the other side of me. Very disappointed. So we'll see how it goes with Jeff. I'm very disappointed in Jeff. And then he said, so we have started the wall. We got $1.6 billion. We got another 1.6. We fixed a lot of existing. We've started an 80-mile stretch. The entire Democrat life is uh, 
to try and make sure we don't have a wall, not because we don't need it, but because we do. So, you know, he went into the wall and and he's telling me that, you know, he needs more votes in the Senate. But I I just don't think, you know, guys, I I, I think that we got to hold the president to account on this one. You know, they're not going to do a shutdown. They've already got a budget deal. They got a budget deal before they they haven't gone to the mat over the wall. And I I just feel like this is not a promise that's being kept. I really I got to be honest with you. Look, he's kept a lot of other promises, and I think the president would if, if Congress went along uh, or if, if Republicans had the votes. It's a better way of saying it. He would build the wall. I don't think he's been false in saying that. I just think that he is uh, his hands are somewhat tied, but he, ha- he also could have pushed a little bit harder. He, he could have pushed a little bit harder on all this. Um, here's here's what he said about it. He said, uh, we've started the wall. The entire Democrat life is to try and make sure we don't have a wall, not because we don't need it, but because we do. Um, but because that was a promise that I made and they want to try to make sure I don't deliver on that promise. And we have a majority of one in the Senate because we have the filibuster, which we shouldn't. You can't get 10 votes. In other words, Buck, we got a majority of one. We got to get to 60. So 10 Democrats are controlling the Senate. We shouldn't have the filibuster rule. The first thing that Chuck Schumer would do if he ever took control of the Senate is get rid of the filibuster rule. And for whatever reason, and nobody can explain it, they just won't do it, which means we need to get nine more Republicans. So it's a very tough thing, even though we need it. Yeah, I mean, like he's basically saying if, if you guys don't get me to 60, uh, there's not going to be a wall. And I got to say that that's, as far as I'm concerned, pretty close to saying there's not going to be a wall because we're not going to get to 60 Senate votes. In fact, if we hold the Senate, I think we'd be in pretty in pretty good shape uh, to that end. Sitting there talking to the president. I other guys, the whole thing was really it felt a little surreal, and not just because I was in the Oval Office. I've been there before. As you know, I've told you about that as I've run intelligence briefings, which is very, very different. That's you sit down and it's a you know, you, you're presenting on a specific issue and then you answer and then you answer questions. I mean, being in the Oval Office in the capacity I've been before, it's almost like the president's interviewing you, or at least the president's the one asking the questions. So now the role was was reversed in that regard. I was the one asking the questions. Uh, and uh, it was just the fact that Donald Trump is sitting there behind the resolute desk in the Oval Office. I, I you know, you folks, you know, it's real. You know, it's a thing. But when you're experiencing it, there is a party that goes is this real? Is this really happening? The Donald Trump, this guy that, I mean, I, you know, I grew up, I grew up knowing Donald Trump from Trump. Ta- well, actually I, I knew the family as, as I've told you a little bit. Ivanka wasn't around the white house yesterday, so I didn't get a chance to see her. Um, but you know, I, we knew the Trump family a little bit and the, the Trump buildings. And he was in home alone too, for those of you, cause he owned the Plaza hotel at one point. Uh, he was in home alone too, in the Plaza you know, he's just like a, he was a celebrity. He was a playboy. He was a, uh, a you know, a construction magnate, all this stuff. And and the fact that he's the president of the United States now, if if you had written this in a screenplay 20 years ago, people would have said you were like it was too silly. There's no way. Uh, and yet way uh, way. That was what happened yesterday. I was sitting there and thinking to myself, um, this guy, he really not. And keep in mind, not only is he the president, but he's a president that I think is doing a great job. 
right? It's it's one thing to have the it's one thing to be in the role. It's one thing to have the job in any capacity. I mean, that alone is pretty remarkable. But this goes well beyond that. It's not just that he has the job, it's that he is executing at a high level in this job. And you know, whew, it's pretty pretty incredible. But on the uh, holding holding the house and holding the senate uh, we got a question out. My colleague John Solomon asked him the following. Do you still feel good? Remember, this is back to the exact transcript that we've transcribed from the recording we made of this. but We were not allowed to share the audio recording publicly. Do you still feel good about a red wave? Do you think you could pull that off? President Trump, I think we probably have the greatest economy in history. So they've tried many narratives with me. You know, I took that test when I got my last physical and the doctor said that's one of the highest scores we've ever seen. I did that not because I wanted, but I did it. I was always good at testing. But if there's anything great about me, it's stability. And I'm a good manager. I've always been a good manager, but, you know, I have a vision. And I had just beaten 17 because actually it was 18, including Gilmore. Um, He was governor of Virginia. And I just beaten 17 people, including the Bush dynasty. Then I beat Hillary Clinton dynasty. You can give me credit for Bernie Sanders and all because I was part of it. But, you know. Uh, So I beat the Bush dynasty, the Clinton dynasty, 17 people, and I never left center stage once. You can check. Uh, I never left center stage, meaning I had lead in Republican primaries from day one. And I had I went through 14 uh, or 12 debates before Hillary. Um, So, by the way, when you start asking me questions, maybe someday and I say, hmm, I don't know those answers. I may say, well, it's time to hang it up. okay? but the opposite. And I'll say the narrative, the, the different narratives, they've tried all different narratives. They tried that. They tried that. He's dictator. He's a fascist. One of them did. uh, One of them did say he's losing it. And the next they went into, he's the most, I'm just, folks, this is what he said. So I know it sounds like I'm, this is what he said. So I'm reading the president's exact words to me. He's the most brilliant mind. He's taking over the country. He's a fascist. He's a dictator. And he's going to make the eight years into life. Okay. Uh, I said, wait a minute, last week I was incompetent and now I'm, you know, taking over the world. Okay, it's incredible. It's sick. But the various narratives that they do are just so bad. They're so bad for the country. And they're such opposites in a sense. Um, End quote. So, I mean, that's all that's all the president there. And uh, by the way, you know, he mentioned people that are saying that he is going to be a fascist. and, And I always hear people say, oh, no, that's not true. He's he's not claiming that it, it, there's anything fascistic about, uh, you know, or rather that no one claims that the president's really a fascist. I mean, they just say that he's kind of, well, that's not exactly accurate. Um, uh, I can I can certainly think of one person who clearly believes that the president is uh, is something akin to a fascist. I will tell you who that imbecile, that ain't anti-patriotic slovenly disgrace to humanity is right after the break. You know what I'm going to do tonight? I'm going to get the conversation started over at snippy.com. I'm going to post something on my interview with the president there. I'll just give you a little bit of a backstory you haven't heard elsewhere because I want us to have a place we can go and talk and chat. It's totally free to sign up. And unlike these other social media giants that are out there, right? Snippy's just getting going, just getting started. But they're creating a space for conversation that's not a safe space. It's a free space, okay? They want you to be able to engage how you want, when you want, and share whatever's on your mind. You can share photos. You can post. You can follow writers there. Snippy.com 
is a social media platform without agenda or bias, no left-wing monitors, none of this partisan nonsense, no shadow banning, all the stuff you're seeing from all these other huge social media companies, snippy.com doesn't have any of that. So team, go check it out for yourself. Again, snippy.com, sign up totally free, totally free to sign up for your account at snippy.com. Germany in the 30s was one of the most intelligent societies on earth. They were cultured. They read more books than any other country. They were well-educated. Um, they were a liberal democracy. The popular vote in 1932 was won by the liberal left parties. Hitler won with only 32% of the vote. And then they had a national emergency where their parliament was burned down with, through some sort of act of terrorism. And that was used as an excuse to do uh, X, Y, or Z. Less than two weeks ago, this man who sits in the Oval Office suggested that the license of this very network that we are sitting here in the studio today should be, we should consider what to do. Should they, should NBC still have a license to broadcast? And that- Michael Moore, everybody. He's a dishonest propagandist. Or maybe you could say he's an honest propagandist because he at least admits that what he does is is hyperpartisan. So that's I, I would I would amend that. Um, but I think that his view of the country is uh, is borderline deranged. Uh, and sure enough, he goes immediately to the the Trump Hitler comparison. This is becoming something that only stupid people or people who think their audiences are stupid can continue to say. Uh, you know, having spent time in the Oval with the president yesterday, I mean, this man is he's so far and I've known this just from all the things that he's doing and all the people around him that I that I know and talk to on a regular basis. He's so far from a fascist, you know, Trump maybe sometimes likes to goad the media a little bit. He talks about their broadcast license, but he hasn't actually taken any action against the media that's even in the same universe of aggression to what Obama did. I mean, Obama was cracking down on leaks and was willing to throw the press on the funeral pyre of the First Amendment along with it. And there were very few, notice, there were no hashtag George W. Bush resistance fighters inside of the federal government when Obama was in office. There was no one at the DOJ or the FBI leaking very damaging and illegally leaking very damaging information to try to hurt Obama. But to make sure that that wouldn't happen, Obama went on this uh, jihad of sorts against leakers. And that included the most aggressive tactics against the press we've seen in a hundred years and also the most Espionage Act prosecutions of all time. In fact, more than every administration before him combined. Okay, so they're talking about Trump as a fascist on this. And and I just sit sit there and I think, you know, what, what idiocy. You know, can we at least have a series? If people want to talk to me about single payer, I'm game. I'll talk single payer all day. Terrible idea, way too expensive, going to ruin the country. But at least it's a real idea. And at least they want to do it because they think that it will mean we all have better health care. They're totally wrong. They'll destroy the country. But they think we'll all have better health care. Uh, saying that Trump's a fascist is just, is just stupidity uh, dressed up as analysis. It, it is not worth discussing. And, you know, Trump also, I can tell you this from being with him yesterday, um, you know, he, he and I, I try to give you this sense of it. He really does love this country. He really does uh, think that America is a very, very special place. And he wants to do everything he can to help all of his fellow Americans. 
And I think that that's that that comes across. And there are a lot of people who, when they think about what the president, uh, what the president's why he resonates so well with the crowd. It's because he seems like one of us in a way that you can't fake. Um, And he's also, by the way, very concerned with what's going on in in North Carolina. I mean, he he has a he can be very paternal when he wants to be play. uh, You know, he can show his emotion. He can show his connection and still be the manager in chief and uh, be the guy that can get aid where it's needed. Play 18. Help from Congress, in all fairness, and we're ready and they're ready to do whatever we have to do to make this perfect. And that means, unfortunately, the money will be a lot, but it's going to come as fast as you need it. We're going to take care of everybody. Hurricane Florence was one of the most powerful storms ever to hit the Carolinas, one of the most powerful and devastating storms ever to hit our country. To the families who have lost loved ones, America grieves with you, and our hearts break for you. God bless you. We will never forget your loss. We will never leave your side. We're with you all the way. And to all those impacted by this terrible storm, our entire American family is with you and ready to help, and you will recover. That's our president. That is President Donald J. Trump. I mean, he he really does understand the role that he's supposed to play. And people, when they say, when they talk about, oh, does he sound presidential? Yeah, he doesn't sound presidential all the time. But he always understands that he is the president. And he always understands what the stakes are and what he's there to do. So, uh, look, it was, a, it was a proud moment yesterday to get to sit down and talk to the man. I look forward to getting to uh, know him better with, with further interviews and... It also just fires me up to fight against the lies of people like Michael Moore who are trying to tear down this president, but not on my watch. Sesame Street, I agree with you, Whoopi, Uh has not shied away from those issues. Elmo's World um, introduced uh, a a character (coughs) that had two moms Uh and also two dads. They have the autistic um, puppet. They have the HIV positive puppet. So I can see your point in that when they really want to come out and have a gay think they should at this point because kids um they identify their gender identity at least by two and by four or five start understanding their sexuality so maybe that's a place where well, sesame street but should here's go. The- oh boy folks of course we, we have to now have political discussions on television about what we should do with the reality of ernie and bert's sexuality or bert and ernie uh, Sesame Street characters are now part of wokeness. That's right. You can't watch Sesame Street without being told that there has to be a lot of social justice thrown into the mix. Here's what happened this week. The reason this is being talked about. Sesame Street writer Mark Saltzman uh, said that his comments that he wrote Ernie and Bert as a gay couple based on his own same-sex relationship were misinterpreted. This is according to the Post. As a writer, you just bring what you know into your work. Somehow in the uproar that turned into Bert and Ernie being gay, there is a difference. There are two guys who love each other. That's who they are. Uh, But they are not necessarily gay, uh, according to this here. Um, Sesame Workshop released a statement saying that Bert and Ernie do not have sexual orientations. Quote, as we have always said, Bert and Ernie are best friends. 
They were created to teach preschoolers that people can be good friends with those who are very different from themselves. Even though they are identified as male characters and may possess many human traits, as most character, as most uh, Sesame Muppets do, they remain puppets and do not have a sexual orientation. <laughs> yeah, that's right, folks. Sesame Street needed to remind the woke left that no, no, they're just puppets, folks. They're just puppets. They don't have genitalia. They they cannot procreate. They don't have a sexual orientation. And they don't inherently have a backstory uh, about their sexual orientation because they're hand puppets. You can't really make fun of the left because the left makes fun of itself so much without trying to. I will say that, uh, is it, producer Mike, uh, Bert is the one with the unibrow, right? Correct. The big unibrow? Right. Did you, were you a Sesame Street guy growing up? I was not. No, not really. I wasn't really either, although I did I did always kind of like the count. One, two, three. Yeah. I was kind of, you know what I mean? That I was yeah. into that guy. And and Oscar the Grouch, but you know, he lived in a trash can. Right. So that sounds that's kind of rough when you think about if, it. If I was but, a Sesame uh, Street guy, I would be a big fan of the Cookie Monster. Googie Monster. Yeah. yeah, I mean, look, they're they're pretty timeless characters when you think about it. True. Uh, but were you more of a Bert or an Ernie guy? Um I don't know. I really didn't watch. I, I mean, I can't tell you either way which one, what they were all about. Ernie was more silly, and Bert was the serious one. Like the oh, odd okay. couple. I'm definitely a Bert guy then. I always liked Sam the Eagle a lot, too. I'm, I'm, I will tell you that my, uh, when I worked in the government, my uh, avatar assigned to me unofficially by my colleagues was Sam the Eagle. So nice. I like that a lot. Which one was a uh, sports fan and loved Bone and Ribeye? That's the one I would like. Uh, there we go. Well played, <laughs> producer Mike. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that uh, you've got your own Sesame Street character there. It's called Mister I Love America. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so you know, it's it's just interesting to see this. They also had Thomas the Tank Engine. There was a big kerfuffle over that recently because they want a transgender character on Thomas the Tank Engine. Do you see this? This is another one now. Thomas the Tank trans. If if you go if you go and you check this out, you'll see. That uh, they're trying to get, wait, oh no, the UN at one point wanted Thomas the Tank to be gender neutral. This is a British thing, I think, right? Thomas the Tank Engine. I don't, I don't remember this one. This is like some communist agitprop. Do you even know what I'm talking about? Thomas the Tank, anyone? I, 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 know, I know what Thomas the Tank and Percy are for sure from my, uh, from my niece and nephew. Oh, you do know? Yeah, okay. they're trains. Okay. Yeah, I man, I know. That. Thank you. I know it's a train. Okay. Like, what, what is, you know. <laughs> Do you know anything beyond that? How to trans? First of all, aren't all, I mean, I'm just being serious here for a second. Aren't all trains inherently gender neutral? Because they don't, again, they don't have genitalia or XY chromosomes or XX chromosomes. So I feel like they are gender neutral because they're inanimate objects that we put a face on so that they can talk. I'm getting too deep. I understand the rabbit hole going too deep. Fair enough. Maybe I need to, maybe I need to tilt it down a little bit. But yeah, that's right. The left was upset because they were excited that Ernie and Bert are gay, uh, but they're not gay because they're puppets. Thank you, Sesame Street, for clarifying that. And, you know, I, 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 maybe I'll do some... If I had a really good impression of any of the Muppets, I'd probably do some of it here on the show, you know? Um, Cookie uh, Monster oh, Swedish, was on point. Isn't the Swedish chef a Muppet? Right? Yeah. The Swedish chef is a Muppet, but that's not Sesame Street. Is that Sesame Street? No. No, that's a Muppet. Snuffleupagus. That's... How about that? 
You do him? Snuffleupagus. Hey, what's going on? I can do I can do some of them. I like that you're putting me through my paces, though. All right, we're going to close and get to roll call. Stay with me. Team Buck, it's time for roll call. All right, roll call. You know what that means. All of you get to tell me what time it is, as the kids say. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton if you want to get into that action. Thank you for all the uh, kind comments from uh, from y'all. That's right. I I went there. Y'all on the interview I had with President Trump. 45 minutes. Good times. Very much enjoyed it. Learned a lot. I laughed. I cried. I, uh, I didn't actually cry. I did laugh, though. But it was really fun. It was really uh, and and just uh, illuminating to spend that much time with the president of the United States. So there you have it. Um, Let's get to it. Timothy writes, Shields high, Buck. This assault on Brett Kavanaugh is a prima facie case. Prima facie. I hear people say that different ways. Case of why dueling should still be legal. I believe dueling was, is a legitimate means of resolving disputes. It would certainly reduce the number of cowards in our society. Make dueling great again. Timothy, shield tie. Um, Timothy, I don't really have much to add to that one, my friend, other than interesting, interesting thought. Uh, Alan writes, Buck, great coup on getting a 45 minute interview with POTUS. I wonder if Ford and her lawyers are bluffing about FBI investigation, figuring it wouldn't happen. What would happen if POTUS did allow the FBI to check on allegations? Do you think Ford would welcome it or find an excuse not to have it? Uh, Well, and as I've been saying, Alan, I don't really I don't think it's even possible to investigate this. You know, if somebody shows up, let's say, at a local law enforcement, uh, you know, wherever you are across the country and they tell the cops, Hey, somebody, somebody punched me in the face 30 years ago. Let's just take sexual assault out of this for a moment, uh, just to make it easier to discuss. Somebody punched me in the face 30 years ago, which is assault, which is illegal, but I have no proof and I can't tell you where it happened or when it happened. I mean, the police would, would take your statement, but then there would be no further action on it because what are they supposed to do? Uh, unless you can give them more details, they can't actually do anything and never mind. What is a district attorney going to do with it? Can't bring charges. So I don't think that she wants an FBI investigation. What she really is hoping for is the FBI to reopen the background. You know, there's a criminal investigation there and there's background investigation, a background check. And they want to make this a part of the background check. But there's no reason to make it part of the background check because it wouldn't change the outcome of it. Uh, So it's it's. That there's no way you wouldn't get denied a clearance now because of what happened when you were 17. And now people are saying, well, what if you lied about it? Well, you could say that about anything. So, I mean, there's folks, there's so much desperation, so much desperation out there about trying to stop Kavanaugh from getting into the Supreme Court. That That's all this really is, as we all know. Kimberly writes, hey, Buck, just want to say that woman is a liar. I was grabbed off my front porch back in 1974. Long story, but I got away from him. I've never forgotten anything about it. Nothing. 
if something traumatic like that happens, you don't forget. Well, you know, I, I can tell you this, Kim. I do not believe, and I, and I know that people, you know, oh, how can you say that? I, I just don't believe that you would forget the place where it happened. That I don't believe. Uh, you know, the month may be getting, or uh, the day may be getting a little hazy. That's one thing. But you don't remember where this happened. I just think that that's not credible. Kathy is up next here. Kathy writes, Hey, Buck, I was wondering if the statements by Dr. Ford's lawyer that her client and family have received death threats are valid, and if there's any way to verify this. Conservatives, Christians, and constitutionalists usually don't do this. Outrageous threat-making behavior usually is the forte of the left. Shields high, Kathy from Ohio. You know, Kathy, the left is crazier than the right, but I, I have to I have to keep it real. There are certainly people on the right as well, especially when it involves anything that they think touches on Trump's world, who could get very, very nasty too. So I'm not surprised that there would be threats against her. And I am willing to bet she's not surprised that there are threats against her. Um, it would be a lot worse if this were a conservative coming out against a, a very liberal judge that might tip the court one way or the other. Uh, so in general, Kathy, I agree with you. In this case, though, there are, there are we, we've got to always be honest, there are bad people on the right, too. There are crazies who will threaten people on the right, too. There just aren't as many of them. Alice writes, thanks for sharing your experience at the White House today. Uh, because of the way you include your audience, I think many of us felt like we went to the Oval Office right beside you. I look forward to hearing more about your visit as protocol allows. Also, on vegan chocolate, it's actually delicious. I'm as far from vegan as is possible to be, but I was served some and thought it was extraordinary. So that's one point for the vegans. Just one, but heck, it's chocolate, so it's kind of a big point. Alice, absolutely accurate all the way around here. You know, I, I first of all, thank you so much. It's really high praise. It's high praise. Nicholas Cage, Saturday Night Live. Anybody? Anybody? Well... Uh, it's high praise to say that you felt like I was able to bring you into the Oval, and that was really my intention. And as for vegan chocolate, I, I will have to take your word for it. I'm excited for when my, my brother's uh, muffin company is fully, fully national, and also it's uh, able to, I I'm able to tell you more about it. It's getting into now, I think, well over a thousand stores. I, I need to check on the numbers, uh, but it's definitely in hundreds of stores because if you like baked goods products, uh, his his stuff is the best. I mean, the muffins, I, I have one every single day. I start every day with one of my brother's muffins, Susie's, S-O-O-Z-Y, uh, his muffins, which some of you will have if you have a Wegmans near you or there's some other stores I know that they're in. Kroger's, I believe they're in now. Um, I start it with Black Rifle Coffee and Susie's muffins every day. That's what I do. Um, and chocolate is amazing. And I have a chocolate stash, Alice. It's a true story. I have a stash and Miss Molly makes fun of me because I, I like have this little corner of one of the cupboards where I just keep all my different chocolate. And I have lots of different kinds of chocolate. It's my weakness. I mean, that is chocolate is my thing that I allow myself, my vice. You know, would I be able to see my abdominal muscles if I stopped eating chocolate altogether? Probably not, but I'd be closer to it. So there's that. Uh, let's see. Julie writes, uh, hey, Buck, just want to offer some solidarity in the whole Obama whistling thing. I, too, had speech issues as a child with R and S. I had to go to speech therapy, and to this day, I'm very sensitive to any lisping or whistling with S. Though I never made it a habit to listen to Obama, I've never noticed a whistling issue from him. You're not crazy. Have a great night, Julie. Well, thank you, Julie. And, you know, see, you understand what it's like to go through 
speech therapy and, and have to be in that whole process. It's, it's not not an easy thing at all, um, but it's obviously well, well worth it to, to overcome that um, that issue, that hurdle at a young at a young age. Uh, and as for Obama, you know, guys, I haven't been able to go listen to that clip yet, but let's just assume that I will. OK, I will. Because a lot of you wrote to me and you're like, how could you not? I, I get it. I get it. You think Obama whistles. Keith writes, Senator Feinstein told her Chinese operative driver about the ballsy letter, huh? Over some chai tea while at Seattle's own Kami uh, coffee shop. The driver then sent it to Hillary's new basement server. Mwah, Keith. All right, man. Thanks, Keith. I'm not really sure what you're going for, but I like the enthusiasm. Brittany writes, hey, Buck, started watching Jack Ryan. It's great. In the first episode, the main character gets hit in the face, and I yelled, Buck, no. Uh, my boyfriend looked at me and did a slow head shake. It was hilarious. Thank you for all you do. Well, thank you, Brittany. And yes, I'd like to think there are some similarities between myself and uh, Jack Ryan, played by John Krasinski. Uh, it, look, if I could just, there'd be a lot more similarities with me and Krasinski if I could spend about three months not working 14 hours a day and go to the gym and eat right and grow out a beard. Then then you'd be like, yeah, Buck and Krasinski. Okay, maybe six months in the gym. But Buck and Krasinski, very, very, very similar characters. Uh, Andrea writes, hey, I'm a musician and theater director and have lots of experience with theater-driven music. So if you need help with your special music uh, for special episodes, I'm here and I'm in the swamp too. Andrea, well, Andrea, thank you so much. That's very kind of you. Uh, I am currently uh, talking to some folks about the best ways. I know I keep saying this, but it's true. The best ways to bring back some of those history shows. Um, and and I'm working on it. And uh, that's the most I can say about that right now. But thank you very much for the for the kind offer. Uh, Anne writes, uh, well, hold on a second. Here we go. Buck, a Charleston, South Carolina listener checking back in, made it through evacuation and returning home just fine. Charleston dodged a bullet. We had no damage in our area. Whew. But those Democrats, man, why is it they accuse the president of being a dictator and disregarding the Constitution, then expect him to solve legislative issues himself, expect the federal government to run over states' rights? They are the ones disregarding their constitutional obligations and wanting the president to be a dictator. Dude, we're living in the upside down. It's true, man. We are kind of living the upside down these days. I can't disagree with you there. Um, but I'm glad you're okay. Made it back. And Charleston is a, a city I, I am really fond of. Uh, of Charleston, Savannah, um, you know, these are these are great places to visit. Some cities that I've really had had good times when I've had the good fortune to be able to go and check them out. Uh, that's going to be it, team, for today here in the Freedom Hunt. Thank you so much for joining and hanging out. I hope that you will tell somebody about the show. That is how I end the show every day because it really does mean a lot to me. You're like, hey, do you listen to podcasts? If the answer is yes, listen to the Buck Sexton Show. Go on iTunes or go on iHeart and uh, listen to the Buck Sexton Show on the iHeart app. Uh, thank you so much. Um, I was going to tell you that next next week I'm going to be out in Vegas, but it's actually the week after that. So that's coming up. I'll have some cool stories for you. But until tomorrow, my friends, Shields High. Team, how do I start my day every day? The right way, the patriotic way, the delicious way. Black Rifle Coffee. Black Rifle Coffee is the best coffee you're going to get anywhere. And unlike a lot of those commie coffee brands, they're not trying to 
get everybody to pretend that they all want to get some kind of socialist healthcare system going or any of that other political nonsense. Black Rifle just wants to give you the best coffee you can get anywhere. Just go to blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. Okay, go on that site. You'll see for yourself they've got great blends, delicious coffees, and they also will give you 15% off if you go to my site. So you're getting a great deal, and you're supporting a veteran-owned and patriotic company that, honestly, everybody that I have tried in my office at the Hill just wants to drink Black Rifle now, every single one of them. Go to blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. Again, blackriflecoffee.com slash buck, and sign up for the Coffee or Die Revolution.